You're listening to Radio Monterey, now an internet radio station that can be listened to live via the website radiomonterey.com or apps like TuneIn on your tablet, computer, and smartphone. Welcome to Simple Life Radio, Stories for the Adventurous at Heart, a weekly program focusing on life experiences and perspectives from the folks on the central coast of California. The dynamic age in America has shifted dramatically over the last 60 to 80 years. Experts agree, and its impact on the family is clear. More adult children are now left in the position where they have to care for their aging parents. In fact, more than 65 million people, or 29% of the U.S. population, provide care for a chronically ill, disabled, or aged family member or friend during any given year and spend an average of 20 hours a week providing care for that loved one. And this is according to Caregiving in the United States, National Alliance for Caregiving in collaboration with AARP, in an article dated November of 2009. Our guest today has had personal experience with caring for her mother in the later part of her life. She's written a book titled Me, a Caregiver, and is currently working on a one-woman comedy skit. It's a special pleasure to welcome a local author and artist to Simple Life Radio. Her name is Beth Harris. Hi, Cynthia. Hi, I'm so (laughs) glad you're here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And you know, when we first met in the bookstore at Pilgrim's Way Community Bookstore in Secret Garden, I was really struck with your upbeat, energetic nature. Oh. (laughs) And I remember thinking after our brief conversation, what a great example of what's possible when caring for someone in their latter part of life. Because you were so real and candid and funny. Well, I think humor is the key to caregiving. You know, humor is... uh, really something people are talking about now in terms of um, having good health and dealing with stress. So Mm -hmm. I can see how that would be. Yeah. Maybe if you tell us um, what the situation was when you began taking uh, the caregiving role for your mom and, you know, let us know if you had training to do this. Oh, no. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I was living in L.A. I was living the high life. I was hobnobbing with celebrities riding in stretch limos, drinking expensive champagne, and I was working towards my dream job. Well, I went to dinner one night, and over caviar and a champagne, the executive producer announced that I would be getting a call from the New York office, and they were going to offer me the executive producer position, which is what I wanted. So I'd been working in L.A. the whole time just for this. So he said, sit tight, because tomorrow you'll probably be getting the call. Well, I got a call the next day, but it wasn't from him. It was from my sister in Carmel. So to make a long story short, um, thus began my less than glamorous career as a caregiver for my mother. What was the situation with your mom? The situation was she had broken her hip, but that had been couple years before but now she had rheumatoid arthritis had set into her hips and she couldn't walk and it had also set into her hands which were now becoming deformed which was sad because she was a great artist in Carmel community oh really yeah was she really involved in um like 
in exhibiting art and had accomplished a lot? She was. You know, we grew up in Michigan, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and um, I talk about this in my book, where it killed her every year to see flowers die and everything turning brown. So a friend told her about Carmel Art Association. Oh. So my mom decided she was going to move to Carmel. She brushes her knees out, landed in Carmel Association. She accepted So having that decline going on in her life, I can see your point that she was really... uh, Sad. It you was know, heartbreaking. Disappointed. Her, that was her passion. Yeah. Her art. Yeah. So, um, so when this happened, you know, it was a. It wasn't any choice for me to just move up and be with my mom, and so that's what I did, and that's that's. It just. Um, my dad was around, but he had cancer. But he was functional, and he wasn't in any pain, so he was taking care of her, basically, at the time. But uh, it sounds as though that might have been something rather limited for him to be able to do. Is that the case? It was limited. It was exhausting. Yeah. But the worst part that happened was that um, they were in that horrible flood of 1995 in Mission Fields. Oh. And that was sort of the beginning of the end for my dad because he lived for another year, but he had to be the contractor. So during that time, he was beginning to decline. Mom was declining. Um, So it was just, it was, it was horrible for everybody. Yeah. It sounds like challenging times. Hmm. What, um, so were you basically looking in on both your parents and then taking more of the lion's share of work? Physically caring for your mom. Yeah. And that was a daily thing? Did you live there or just drop in? I didn't live there in the beginning. I Luckily, I had my own place so that when they were flooded out, they could come stay with me. Sure. But then Dad kept saying, I just want to stay alive long enough to keep, get your mother back in the house. So about a year later, um, they both moved back in, and that was when I moved back in. Because then by that time, Dad needed rides to the doctor Mom was, I think, I don't know if she was in her wheelchair, but she was in a walker. Okay. Using a walker at the time. Needing so. assistance, certainly. Yeah. So it was pretty, um, it was pretty difficult, but <laughs> one of the hardest <laughs> things about it was mom lived in one, or she, she slept in one room. My dad slept in another room. I slept in a room in the middle. Mom couldn't hear worth a damn. Dad couldn't hear worth a damn. Mom loved Pavarotti. Dad loved <laughs> Westerns. Here I am in the middle thinking, oh, my God. You loved earplugs. The volume was <laughs> turned up. Even the dog was deaf. It was just, uh, it was so, I mean, this is the kind of stuff you have to look at and laugh when you're caregiving. That's absolutely you true, know, isn't you it? You know, you just got to find, like, and just go, what the hell? Yeah. And laugh at it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you had, first off, really good relationship with your parents. Is that Mm, true? The best. The best. My mother and I were kindred spirits, and I can honestly say she was the love of my life. Mm. We adored each other. And my dad was so much fun. He was so much fun to be around. And it was a little hard between the two of them because she was, you know, an artist and culture, and he was a big football fan, so... Often things collided, but basically, in the end, it's all about love. It is all about love. And you know, the differences between us sometimes are the blessings. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So stepping into that caregiving role um, was a positive thing in many respects, it sounds like, whereas for other folks who have unresolved issues, let's say, with their parents, right? it might have a little heavier component because there's so much that hasn't been said, that hasn't been resolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now in a compromised position, you know, your, your, your elderly parents are really not in a position to resolve it. No. Yeah. And you have to just keep in mind, you're not going to get another chance to do this. How are you going to feel when they're gone, when they're off the planet? How are you going to feel? That's a really good point to put things in perspective. Mm-hmm. It did yeah. for me a lot. Yeah. It helped. Although I, and I got along with my parents. I love my parents, obviously. I just said that. But um, for the people that don't, that's what they have to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in retrospect, and I, and I loved your book, by the way. It was funny. Uh, it was informational. It was um, very real. I loved how you gave a true account of your experiences. And I'd love for you to say right now, looking back over all of that, what would you say was the most challenging aspect personally? I mean, you spoke of sort of giving up your dream job mm-hmm. and just the physical uh, labor in, in caring for them on a day-in, day-out basis. What was the most challenging for you personally? I think, honestly, the most challenging thing for me was dealing with caregivers. <laughs> I mean, here I am an advocate for caregivers, but on the other hand, it was the caregivers that just drove me right square out of my mind. But I think, too, luckily, I don't know where I got this, but I think... I was, I've always been fearless, and I think as a caregiver, you have got to be fearless, and people are not in this day and age, and one of the things that influenced me that really helped me that I had no clue at the time was Shirley MacLaine's scene in terms of endearment. I love that Remember scene. Remember that when her daughter was in pain, dying of cancer, it was time for her shot. The nurse said, I'm sorry, it's not time for the shot. She says, well, she's in pain. Give her the shot. No, it's not time. And she just threw this fit and she got the shot. And I never forgot that. And I think that it really helped me stand up to doctors and nurses because that, if you have got to be fearless when you're a caregiver, the two main things, you have to have compassion and you have to be fearless. And I tell the story that um, about a friend of mine who was visiting her mother in a hospital room, and a nurse came in with a loaded syringe. And my friend's first instinct was to ask what was in that syringe, but she didn't. And an hour later, her mother was dead. What happened? It was the wrong shot for the wrong patient <gasps> in the wrong room. Oh and this gosh. is what I'm saying. If you do not become their voice... They could die, or even yeah. worse, have a horrible, horrible end of life. Yes, yes, yes. And you're not going to get a second chance to do this. Yeah. So for me, I didn't really realize this at the time, but now in retrospect, mm-hmm. being fearless is the number one thing when well, you're a caregiver. And, yeah, and you, you actually um, bring up a really important point. I wanted to ask you, uh, Beth, what your consideration was, what your... If you had concerns about um, our healthcare professionals as a result of helping your mom through her 
you know, latter part of life? Did you see things and experience things that that gave you great concern? Oh, ombudsman became my best friend, and so did a woman that was working for the state. Because I did have her in several assisted living places, um, as well as the skilled nursing home. And she developed bed sores, and one of them on the back of her heels. Um, you have to stay on top 24-7. That's why it was almost just easier to bring her home to live with me. But um, the healthcare profession, but you, I can't always blame the actual hands-on nurses, not nurses, what are they, CNAs? Uh-huh. Um, because they're overworked and they're overstaffed. And there are too many people, too many residents. My mom used to call them inmates. <laughs> but there are too <laughs> just there, there, there are too many people to deal with. Yeah, it reminds and, reminds me of having a classroom with too many kids for mm-hmm. the adult supervision or teacher. Yeah, except for this time, this is um, you know these people are lonely. They're sitting in their own soil. They're either over medicated or under medicated. Um, over medication is another huge thing, and this was one of the main obstacles I had really? to deal with. Was my mom was over medicated. Was, was that a was that a trend? Did you see that or hear about that with other people that were caring for? I didn't at elders? the time because I was so immersed in it myself. Yeah, you were focused. On I was just focused on what was going on with my mom. Yeah, and um, when the oxy um, oxycontin was her primary diet when osteoporosis set in her back, and that was when I was living with her, okay. and she just couldn't get comfortable, so they kept pumping it up, pumping it up, pumping it up. Meanwhile, she was on all these other medications for, well, she was on medication for the arthritis. She was on for this, that. And um, that was why she finally had to go into, uh, well, they wanted to put her in a skilled nursing home. And I said, there's no way, no way. And luckily, Sherry Farr, my angel in street clothes, who's we all know in the community, does wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things for end of life families um she found uh, an assisted living that are now registered licensed to take uh, one immobile person if you've got five or six inmates then you can take one immobile and so luckily we were able to get mom not in a skilled but in a assisted living and then i said to the doctor he said she's she's got the beginning of alzheimer's and i said no she doesn't she's just over medicated <gasps> and he argued with me and i said look Nobody knows her or loves her or cares about her more than I do. And I know her. She's in there. We just have to take her off all these meds and find out where she is. How brave of you to stand up to a doctor. I mean, that is an authority figure if there ever was one. You know, when you're somebody's voice, it just comes natural. Yeah. Uh, You know, but I don't know. Maybe it is just me. But when you're, I mean, mothers with daughters, yes, with children, true. I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah. You've got to be their voice. That's and, right. And I strongly believed that she was being over-medicated at this point. It was like a, a thump in the head in the middle of the night. It's, oh, my God. So so after some period of time of negotiating or arguing with the doctor, was he willing to, you know, try taking her off meds? I think at that point we switched doctors. <laughs> but I don't think it was deliberate. Okay. What I'm remembering is that she went into a sk- uh, uh, assisted living and they put her on a, I think this was, they put her on a patch, the Duragesic patch. Okay. 
She hallucinated, got up, broke her arm. Because <gasps> she couldn't walk. Along thinking that I was a part of conspiracy and called 911, but that's <laughs> like the whole different part. So she... To, to the day she died, she was convinced that the door just flew off its, hinge, its hinges and smacked her down. And that was when I said, okay, enough. We have to take her off everything. And it was when she was in the hospital having her arm looked at that a, a, another doctor took over. Okay. Because he was the original one wasn't really affiliate, affiliated with Chomp. So his kind of colleague was. So we decided to go with him. And that doctor was cool with reducing the He meds. was young, and I kind of trained him, <laughs> you know. And he was willing to learn. Yeah. You know? So he was open-minded to something other than whatever the medical journal said you're supposed to do. Well, that, and besides, um, he I, sometimes I'm a force. Uh-huh. I remember one of my dad's doctors, I ran into him at Long's, and he just looked at me and said, don't start with me. <laughs> <laughs> this is long after dad was gone, but... You know, I, that's what you do. Yeah. And so he ended up being a great doctor, and he listened. And um, we turns out she was taking about five medications that were of no use to her at that stage of her You see, when I hear things like that, it really concerns me. And I know there are people out there who say, well, that kind of uh, practice is fueled by the pharmaceutical community and the um, kickbacks that the doctors get when they prescribe these meds. And then there are other people who say, you know, when an elderly person or any person for that matter is heavily medicated, they're docile. And therefore, they don't complain. They don't complain. They are easy patients. Mm -hmm. And that really concerns me because those medications are definitely strong on that person's system. They're very strong. And not only that, what I have learned is, um, you know who you cuddle up to in life? You cuddle up to the pharmacists. Oh, because man. they're really the ones that studied these medications. Okay. The doctors haven't studied them. That's true. And the doctors, I mean, everybody caring for somebody should have the same pharmacist. And he will know what will interact with what. What kind of what what kind of you know adverse dosage. side effects yeah. uh, dosage everything, you know who's married to who in the in the in the pills who you know who gets along and what medications get along with each other so, um, so he's more of an objective or she's more of an objective third party mm-hmm. who's really uh, focused and educated on the on the pharmaceuticals absolutely yeah because doctors are using them as guinea pigs basically I mean that patch my mom. She just tried it. Well, let's just try something new. Then there was a um, this uh, spray for pain. Same thing. Horrible, horrible, mm. horrible side effects. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, and what we learned because it was a problem because I, you know, a part of me understands where the doctors were coming from because they are trying to get her out of pain. But on the other hand, nothing was working. Finally, what this doctor. He finally said, let's just try a short-term painkiller more often, and it worked. Mom came back. Wow. Well, we are going to need to take a break. Um, You're reminding me of Earth Angel by the Penguins, so we're playing (laughs) that to uh, just intro into our break. Um, You know... Our guest today, Mary Beth Harris, is the author of the book titled Me, a Caregiver. And signed copies are in stock now at Pilgrim's Way Community Bookstore in Secret Garden, located in downtown Carmel by the sea. Uh, If you'd like to have a copy, 
you can give us a call at area code 831-624-4955. Additional information about Pilgrim's Way can be found on our website at pilgrimsway.com. We'll continue our conversation with Beth when we come back. And we're going to talk more specifically about an experience that she outlines in her book on a, uh, a place called Pine Hill. So stay with us. I'm your host, Cynthia Fernandez. We'll be back in just a moment with more. I fell for you And I knew the vision of your love, and we're back from that break. Thanks for staying with us. If you're just joining us, this is Simple Life Radio. I'm your host, Cynthia Fernandez, and our guest today, Mary Beth Harris, a local author and artist here in the central coast of California. Her book titled Me, a Caregiver. And when, before we went to the break, um, we were talking about your interaction with the doctors, Beth, and how you really trusted your sense of advocacy for your mom in regards to her um, medication, mm-hmm. basically, and, and knowing that she wasn't um, uh, entering Alzheimer's. She was just heavily medicated. Yes. Mm-hmm. In your book, you talk about an experience that you encountered at uh, a facility called, I think you called it Pine Hill. Right. Could you share that story with our guests? I think that's a really important experience to share. Mom had been in an assisted living and had had a history with bed sores on the back of her heels. Um, and they were they were doing pretty well. But she did go into this one assisted living place. And even though we had signs saying, keep her cab- pillows under her calves, keep her heels off, anything, they didn't do it. And um, so the bed sores started to come back. That was when the doctor insisted that we put her into a skilled nursing home. Mm-hmm. Worst thing that could ever happen. I mean, all of a our the worst nightmares. Worst but it, night- it, but it sounds like it's the best thing that could ever happen. Yeah, well, the difference between assisted living and skilled nursing is about ninety residents as opposed to four residents. It's more of an institution. Oh. It's you know, it's busy. There's bells. It's all. It's more like a hospital. Like daycare for elderly. Yeah, only lots of floors and horrible smells, people yelling. Very dismal. Wow. Very, very depressing. I mean, it's like the classic worst thing that could happen to somebody you love. What about the training on the part of the staff? Is that the same? I think the training, well, they're not all nurses. They're the CNAs. Um, you know, some of them care. Some of them don't care. And like I said, some of them are just overworked. And um, it's, a, it's a very stressful job. You know, and the good thing about it was they had a little um, room when once a week they would have somebody come in, play piano, and do that and entertain the, well, that's the inmates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, mom had physical therapy there, but, uh, and they were, they were great. They got the bed sores all healed up in a month or so, which was surprising. And then, I don't know, a couple months later, sure enough, mom complained of her heel hurting, and we looked, and they were back. 
with a vengeance. Okay, so just for people like me out there who haven't had bed sores or known anybody who has bed sores, is it a result of someone who is stuck in one position? Yes. Okay. Yes. And with mom, it was the back of her heels because she was always in a sitting position or laying in bed. And so it was always important to have a pillow under her calves. To raise her heel Anything to keep her heels off anything, any kind of surface. So I discovered that these... um, bed sores were back and I just flew into a rage and I went into the head nurse's office who was talking on the phone and I just said what are you doing have you looked at my mom lately do you know what's going on and she said no what are you talking about I said you're the head nurse you don't even know what's going on <laughs> well get off the phone and come with me and I wasn't even that nice to Ooh. tell you the truth so I took her in and she's like looks at him she's like oh I'm so sorry I said sorry is that all you have to say and she said yeah you know what we're on it we're gonna get the wound specialist down here and I said you were on it six months ago you are not on it. You don't even know how to be on it at this point. So I left. Meanwhile, my mom is like, she's kind of cool. She's like, oh, yeah, we'll deal with it. I said, well, you're back on your medications, apparently. So then I went into the <laughs> owner's. I went right behind the front desk into the owner's office, and I said, where is he? And they said, he's playing golf. And I said, well, you know what? Call him up. Get his ass here right now because i got to talk to him. And I'm calling the state. So, make a long story short, I brought mom home. I made the decision. I called her doctor. And her doctor actually was the cool doctor that we had talked about uh-huh. earlier. Sure. And he was really upset. Yeah. He had had <laughs> signs all over that said, you know, her heels must be not touching anything. We all had signs. We all had instructions. He, I looked at the chart. It was in red letters. Everywhere. Everywhere. And so I called him and I said, I can't deal with this anymore. And I said, do I have your permission to bring her home? Can you you get me like a hospital bed, anything I need there? And he goes, absolutely do it. I'm behind you 100%. So when the owner showed up, I said, I want a refund for the last three months. And I want to take her out of here tomorrow. And I know you guys think that you're supposed to be keeping all of her medications, but I'm taking them all with me. You have them all ready tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Whoa. And I knocked back a cocktail so quickly <laughs> I could barely drive home. <laughs> I kind of went off the front door and go, oh, somebody just took over my body. I don't know what just happened, but all I know is I got a lot of work to do now. Yeah. Which is where the beginning of my book starts. That's right. Preparing to bring mom home. Yeah. So it was, you know, you just step in when things aren't right. I didn't think about it. Right. I just took over. Yeah. I did what I had to do for my mom. And so you didn't really have time to get scared. Like, can I do this? How do I do this? What if I can't do it right? Never even entered my mind. Right. Never even crossed my mind. I couldn't do it. Yeah. Okay. So mom comes home (laughs) and things... I just, I don't want to like tell the rest of the story because I want people to read your book. But I do want to find out from you, are there any resources for information or services that you feel good about recommending to folks um, who might be experiencing some similar situations? The Carmel Foundation, excuse me, they are absolutely incredible. They lent me commodes, wheelchairs, walkers. They, when mom and I were living together and I was at my wits end, they 
They deliver meals for a, like Aww. hardly anything. Really good, healthy meals for a week that they bring frozen. Sure. They, um, I think now they even have an organization there where you can, like if you're elderly, you live alone, you need a handy, handy guy, yeah. handyman. Yeah. They've got seniors that will go out and help. They have all sorts of programs oh, there that wow. are wonderful. And if they can't provide it, they will find somebody that will. Well, that's really encouraging. And so I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say they probably have a really good volunteer organization working with them. A wonderful one. Yeah. And they teach art classes there. They have dance classes there. They have a library there. They're always having lectures, luncheons. They're really, they are a gift to our community. I'm so happy to hear that. And you did earlier mention Sherry Farr. Is she part <laughs> of an organization? Sherry's part of a great organization called um, Partners for Transition. So Sherry helps families deal with end of life, whatever the needs are. Um, a lot of the legalities, it, that's where I get lost because I'm, I kind of suck at paperwork because, number one, who understands it? I'm with you there. You know, and so um, she helps you find whatever you need, um, even even caregivers. She can do pop-ins. She will find out what financial resources out there for you. And right now, Sherry is a huge advocate of caregivers taking care of themselves because if you don't take care of yourself as a caregiver, it's really, it's not a martyr thing. It's just plain stupid. Stupid, <laughs> and you're being you're being so irresponsible. That's so true. If I you're just, not taking care of the, this is no time to go for the Joan of Arc and say, "Oh no, I don't need to bring." Take the damn dinner. Take whatever people will do for you. Yeah. And if they don't know what to do, you make a list and you tell them. Yeah. Yeah. Because people want to help, and people feel really helpless. They'll second guess. Well, what should I do? Well, what would help? Well, what would not help? Exactly. Like, you know, you got a voice. Use it. Yeah. Ask you know? and you shall receive. And one person said to me, um, she said, well, I never ask for help. I said, now, why wouldn't you ask for help? <laughs> she said, because I feel guilty. And I said, oh. well, are you Jewish or Catholic? <laughs> she said, I'm Catholic. I said, well, there you go. You know, so am I, or I was Catholic. I was brought up that way, but... You know, again, you're just being irresponsible yeah, because yeah. you're thinking about yourself. Well, it's like people say, you know, when you get on that, that airplane and they're going through all the uh, emergency response information with you. And they say, make sure in the case of cabin pressure loss to put on your own oxygen mask and then that of your dependent or child. Mm -hmm. Because you have to be around in order to care for those who are depending on you. You really do have to be around. And um, the thing is, if something happens to the caregiver, what if the caregiver goes through a windshield? That's right. And what if the caregiver knows is the only one that knows the schedule? <sighs> There's also um, a legal paper out there called uh, Five Wishes. Yes. Have you heard of that? I have. It's fabulous. And it's something that anybody can fill out. You just need two people to witnesses, witness it, and it's legal. Sherry will know where to get them. You can go to uh, partnersfortransition.com. Yep. And um, she can direct. I think it's $2. You know, and if mm. I remember correctly, when I looked at that uh, little booklet, the five wishes was really an opportunity for an individual to detail and outline personal preferences things that are not part of a will exactly or even a, a medical declaration it's things like do you have 
a certain kind of music that you want to have? Do you are there, you know, all of the really creature comforts that our our medical environment does not necessarily think of mm-hmm. or accommodate? Your family is going to want to know what to do to to make you feel loved, to make you feel comfortable, and to just plain connect with you. Exactly. And the other thing is, you have to designate a person. You if you go through a windshield. You you don't know who's going to... I mean, one sister may say, oh, pull the plug, and the other one will go, no, I don't think that's what she wants to do. And you've got to make it very clear who's in charge. Right. And you could do that on the five wishes instead of having to go through the whole will. You know, we should come up with a game that goes through <laughs> yeah, these situations, know, really and then you play it with your family, and you get to know what their perspectives that's are. That's such a good idea. Isn't that a great idea? Because, yes. frankly, I know when my mom passed that I got to know a lot about my relatives that I would have never guest because the situation never came up yeah it's true but if you play this board game oh my god i think that's a brilliant (laughs) idea oh that's fabulous then you'll get to know and you'll be able to basically explore the topics they're not common conversations even if there were like a trivial pursuit on caregiving like what is dnr that's right no things like that that could be fun and and i think it's a great idea okay let's do it yeah let's do it be milton i'll be bradley (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so before we completely run out of time, um, I'm loving this conversation. Thank you so so much for being here. My pleasure. What caution would you put out there for people who are taking on or considering taking on a caregiving role? Um, I would say the caution is, uh, again, I think the caution is basically taking care of yourself. But also watching for signs of over-medication. Okay. You know, um, if you know that person well enough, you should know. You should have signs. If you don't know that person, you just watch for changes in their behavior, changes in their uh, in their body language, yeah. changes in their speech. Um, and then speak up about it. And absolutely speak up about it. Yeah. Because nobody else is going to do that. Right. Right. And were there any hidden blessings in the midst of all this hard labor for you? Oh, my God. The privilege of being able to take care of my mother. Absolutely. What a privilege that was. It was wonderful. Was it a long stint? Oh, Lord, I thought it would never end. (laughs) (laughs) Bless her heart. But but she was sort of on the same page, too. Yeah. You know, because she was always in pain and she wanted to go. She's tired. Yeah, she's tired. But um, for me, I made the best of it, you know, and I really honored that time we had together. Yeah. You know, and we had talks. We discovered things that we didn't even know about each <gasps> other. And, you know, better in her history. And she was adopted. And this whole no drama way. of her being adopted when she was like five. And then they took her back. And then, I mean, it's all in the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that part was really, really fun. Um, I, I don't really look at the negative part. I just look at um, that... I think what I got out of it was, and I knew this at the time, was, oh, Lordy, other people are going to be going through this. I need to step in and help them navigate their way through this. Was that your motivation for the book? The only motivation for the book Uh was to help people because I knew. Yeah, a trail map. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm still learning. Yeah, of I course. mean, even when I give my talks, I, I'm talking about things that I didn't even know at the time. Right. That I'm, I'm still learning. Right. Things are changing in the caregiving industry right now. 
Yes, they are, and will continue to do so, I'm sure. So it's just all that more important that people be able to share their perspectives and life experience. Uh, I think it's really important that we recognize we have that to yes. share and contribute. Mm -hmm. And I just certainly applaud you for putting yourself into gear and getting it written, published, and distributed. Oh, I know. Wow. Yeah. That's a feat. I still can't believe I did it. <laughs> I just, I was driven to do it. Like I was driven to take care of my mom. Wow. Yeah. Well, we are speaking with uh, Mary Beth Harris, the author of Me, a Caregiver, which is available at Pilgrim's Way Community Bookstore in Secret Garden, located in downtown Carmel. And if you'd like your very own copy, you can give us a call at 831-624-4955 or Find more information about the bookstore at pilgrimsway.com. Before we completely run out of time, uh, I wanted to find out from you, Beth, a few questions that we asked since we are sponsored on this program by the bookstore. Uh, One is your all-time favorite book. Mists of Avalon. I love that book. Got me through caregiving when I was living in Indonesia with a boyfriend that had malaria. Wow. And I didn't realize that was actually my first caregiving stint, but that was in the early 80s. And thank God, every night I could just go to Avalon. Yeah. I love that book. And what are you reading now? Anything good? I'm writing. You're writing? I have to write right now. Tell us. Well, I'm writing um, my my show, my one-woman show. That's right. Yeah. So that's pretty much what I'm writing. I'm just writing, re- reading, I don't even remember the name of the books. I just get books yeah. and read them. Unless I really remember. But. And how soon before we can uh, look forward to that one-woman show? I don't know. I'm going up to San Francisco next week to start uh, the ball rolling with um, getting a, some professional help with this. And um, a wonderful woman that can direct me and help me with my writing. And um, I've also written a song. Well, my friend has written a song. Oh. Very funny song. And I've written the lyrics about caregiving. Oh, so that's excellent. I want to have a whole follow the bouncing ball behind me. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm dating myself. But, um, so I got it. You've got to bring the humor into this caregiving thing. Yeah. You know, and there's one more thing before we go is yeah. my story that I, I tell about um, a soldier who was 22 years old who um, was paralyzed from an IED explosion in Afghanistan. And his doctor said to him, you will never walk. You will never be able to use your hands. You will never be able to do anything again but lie here. And 22 so, years 22 old. 22 years old. I remember his father had moved into his, with his, moved into his room to just help take care of him. But Nick was driven to work with these physical therapists every single day, twice as hard as anybody did. And one day, one of the physical, one of the physical therapists said, what is your incentive for working so hard? He said, I want to regain full covery in my hands so I can flip that doctor the finger. (laughs) And he said, if you're not laughing, then you are not living. (laughs) And that's one of my very favorite quotes of all time. Well, you know, I bet secretly at least the doctor would totally love that. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know who wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, whatever the incentive is. Yeah. May it be so. May it be so and maintain (laughs) that sense of humor. Oh, well, it's such a delight to have this time with you. Mary Beth Harris of Carmel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Cynthia, for having me. It's really fun. Excellent.
I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you are interested in listening to prior episodes of Simple Life Radio, they are available for either download or listening online. You can find those either on iTunes by searching Simple Life Radio, and they're on our website at pilgrimsway.com by clicking on Simple Life Radio tab and just leafing through all of the 50-some prior episodes. And they're on Podbean, simpleliferadio.podbean.com. If you have any trouble with that, you can always reach me through email Send your emails to simplelife at pilgrimsway.com. The podcasts at this point are free, so feel free to forward those to a friend. Certainly like us on Facebook. I hope you enjoyed the show today, and uh, I will be here again in a week for more with you on Simple Life Radio. Until then, keep it simple. <music>